Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, today, um, since it's my birthday, your present to me is going to be taking the lead on today's topic. Well, since it's your birthday, I thought I might start with a little humor. So are you ready for a question? I, 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 I can't wait. I know. I wanted to know when you were in third or fourth grade, what did you want to be when you were going to grow up? I hate to sound so blase, but I always wanted to be a teacher, Lisa. <laughs> That's so funny. Good. I, I just, we, we literally, we were so, <laughs> I had, I had done a lot of reading for some reason um, about colonial times. And okay. Um, so instead of playing school, we played colonial times in our playhouse and I had a big ruler and I would hit my brothers and sisters on the knuckles with them. And while other kids were playing things, I was playing colonial times. So I guess I wanted to be a mean teacher. That's so funny. Well, uh, I guess that's, that's funny because that's what I wanted to be growing up. Actually, I wanted to be a special ed teacher, but uh, I wasn't a very good speller. And I think in first grade, I, I learned to advocate for myself, which is kind of the topic I wanted to talk about today. Um, I made a poster that said, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher for people who are blind and deaf. And um, <laughs> in front of me and said, and my mother, I still remember, she said, Lisa, you get on that bus and you tell people if you can teach dead people, you're better than anybody on that bus. And I think that's, that's where my self-advocacy was born. And so it's funny, we both wanted to be teachers, but that's kind of the point we were gonna, we were asked about, you know, how do you teach self-advocacy? I think you have to go naturally where kids are at. And it's funny because they do say, you decide your career by about fifth or sixth grade. And so, I think my first point or thought about self-advocacy is helping kids be whatever they want to be. I think one of the favorite careers I've ever heard, if you'll remember one of our past uh, doctoral students' daughter, wanted to be a garbage dumpster. Uh, and she didn't have a disability. She just, that's what she wanted to be. And so I love the fact that they just celebrated that's what she wanted to be at three. And of course, that changed as she got four, five, six. And, and I think we have to listen to what kids enjoy because I think being the mean teacher with the ruler didn't mean you were going to be mean. It actually meant you were going to be a person who managed behaviors. I obviously was going to be somebody who really wanted to think about those people that were outliers. And so I think listening to your kids really young, what do they like? What do they prefer? To me is the first stage of self-advocacy. What do you think? By the way, happy birthday. Well, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely agree. Listening, listening to, to, your kids if you're a parent and and if you're a teacher it does really get back to things that we've talked about before and that idea of choice you know um if if you've done anything in the pre-k level you're from you might be familiar with something called high scope which is a framework of how they set up classrooms in such a way that kids go to their preferred area but only Two people are allowed to be in there at a time, and they learn this idea that you go there and you know you take you take your turn, et cetera. So so early on, these kids are are taught to make make decisions, which is interesting because then we go about the, <laughs> a lot of times the rest of their academic careers, you know, no, no decisions made. So even though in pre K we kind of set them on that track, so I do think that self advocacy starts with having an opinion and a and a decision because how can I advocate for myself if I don't know what I like and what I want? So I think that we have to empower young people to really start thinking early on, and this is kids of all abilities. You know, what do you love to do? 
What do you want? So that they can learn to articulate that in a way that will help them to get it. Yeah. And I think it's equally important to know what you're not good at. Like I am not good at (laughs) not ever having structure in my life. Again, I've always been a person that I can be creative and I can think outside the box, but then I need to put structure in place to get to through that box. And I think that's the other mistake we make is that we assume only kids with disabilities have deficits. Uh, I think everybody has deficits and I think understanding your strengths and weaknesses. I know our early discussion with, with Josh and my son is you're probably not going to be an English teacher, son. <laughs> you got great social skills, but let's not imagine you standing at a board uh, teaching people English skills when that's your weakness. And yet his strength was physical. Um, my favorite kind of way of thinking about that is as some of Stephen Covey's work that I've seen in elementary schools with a program called Leader in Me. And if you've ever been in a, have you ever been in a school with a leader in me as, as kind of their core value? I have. I yeah. have. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, uh, one of my favorite examples, a kid was running and I still remember my friend, the principal stopped and said, the leader in me, why should you not run? I might fall down or I might run into someone else. So the leader in me should stop running. I was like, where am I? You know, but think about it. Think about that concept for our students, no matter what their age, what do they want to lead themselves to do? Maybe I really do want to get my driver's license, or maybe I really don't. That's not unusual for kids without disabilities today. Yet I think we often make assumptions when a kid has a disability, A, they can't get their license, or B, we have to push them at 15 and start early. Well, again, I think that's got to be an individual choice, and I think it goes back to that magical word of choice. When we think about advocating for ourselves, you know, I think as adults, it's easy, it's easy to see how that comes into play in everyday life. You call the phone company and they tell you they can't possibly do this or that. And, you know, we find a voice, some of us to say, oh, well, we, we will do this. How, how are we going to make this happen? Um, because this has to happen today. I cannot be without my internet service. So we're going to make it happen. Let's just talk about how. And so again, you know, I, I'm an assertive person, so I'm good at that. And in my family, I'm the one that everybody will say, Hey, mom, Hey, Becky, call the phone company because I'm very good at advocating for what I need. But you mentioned leader in me. It is tricky to know what part of that we're born with and how people lead us into being that person. And so if we're looking at some action items, I would say very concretely as a, as a parent or as a teacher, teaching kids to have follow-up statements, not just the single statement of saying, I, I want juice, you know? And if mom says, well, we don't, you know, we don't have any juice, teaching, what's the next question for kids? Do you just give up and you don't have anything to drink now? So it's that idea of maybe, you know, we, we, we talk, Lisa, a lot about the idea of grit and I think that's also tied to self-advocacy. This idea of um, not, not taking no for an answer, having, having a voice and continuing to hold on to that voice even when you run into obstacles. So pushing through obstacles, I think, is something that we need to work with with kids. And a lot of times, at, at my, I mean, my own house, something will happen and, and the kids will say, well, I want to do this. And, I'll give them one little tiny reason and they'll be like, uh, it's like, well, you guys, it doesn't mean you can't go to Columbia. It just means that right now there's some obstacles, you know? So it's, 
it's that idea of, of getting kids to have the voice, but also to follow through with what it is that they're pursuing. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think too many times, and it's one I, I always have to work on myself, is we need to make sure that we let people, period, but people with disabilities speak for themselves instead of speaking for them. And I think that's another mistake we make very young, especially if there's multiple siblings in the house. So we'll talk to parents here for a moment. You know, uh, we know some siblings that like to talk for their peers and that's great. But then how does the peer learn to advocate? And yet what I think is great, I, I think in my own personal journey in watching schools, one of the best things I've seen at a young age is letting kids write social stories about what they're good at and what they're not. It's a great way for them to write about, you know what, I'm really good at this and I here's a social story about what's hard for me and, and not just for disability, but for everybody, but then for those students with disabilities and giving them that statement of, okay, so if that's hard, what's your solution? Is it technology? Is it more time? Is it phone a friend? And then I think the coolest thing I've personally seen in a middle school is where not only kids, I've seen student led IEPs. I have never seen anything like this where actually students opened the meeting and they had three PowerPoint slides. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I want to work at. And here's what I want. I love the statement. I want you people to put on my plan. And I think that's the mistake we've made is that we try to get the general ed and the special ed and the parents to own the plan. If it's a plan for the kid, no matter the age, have they read their plan? Have they seen their plan? And honestly, they need to know their plan because you and I both know when they get to college, nobody cares if they don't know. Now, if students have, parents have guardianship, Sure, absolutely, you can have shared ownership of that plan, but I still even think kids that their parents have guardianship should know what's on that plan and, and to help them. That plan is supposed to get them into life, um, whatever that might mean. And so I really do think something that says, this is my plan and I can speak for myself instead of you always speaking for me. And even on a smaller scale, scaling it down from that IEP to a daily basis, Sure, if, if kids went in equipped with a list of, you know, here's four supports that I really need to be successful in any class, and they shared that with their teachers straight from the start as a way to advocate for themselves and their supports, then that's gonna not only eliminate a lot of potential barriers along, you know, the semester or the school year for that student, and it doesn't even matter if it's a really young child. If they can articulate, here's, here's the supports that I really need to be successful. Um, as soon as a kid can start to share that kind of information so that it starts the discussion before the school year gets underway and before I'm struggling and before I'm failing. So giving kids a voice, I think is critical. Obviously that's what self-advocacy is. And I think that it starts really young, much younger than people would think. And I, I think if we can even just start weaving in little choices, uh, small numbers of things for kids to go and ask for, um, or present to teachers, then later present to the full IEP team, et cetera. I think that's really where you get started. Yeah, and I, I, my last little quick thought is as a parent, I used to always compare, and I didn't mean compare in a bad way, but I'd look on the playground and say, oh, those kids aren't sucking their thumbs, or oh, no one else is <laughs> running up the slide and throwing rocks down it, and we're now eight, you know? So what is that neurotypical behavior? And not that I could make my son have that, but I would always use that as a benchmark to say, there are certain things I probably need to think about as a parent. And he didn't ever meet those benchmarks, but if everybody else had a cell phone when they were 
12 and I waited till 15, that's okay because my son didn't have the decision-making of his peers sometimes. But I use that as kind of a benchmark of what's everybody else around look like. And as a parent, then I would say, all right, well, everybody else's kid can go up and order their own ice cream and use their own money. Why am I still standing in line with my child ordering the ice cream for them and spending their money? And, and I think that's the best way to kind of say, you know, yeah, maybe there may be a one or two year delay, but I think the closer we can get to closing that gap socially, emotionally in like play situations, the better we're going to have it in academic and other situations. So I do have another question that got asked for us that I think maybe we could lead into next time, which is kind of what's the difference in having this personal plan in school uh, and an IEP versus college? And I think that would tie really nicely into kind of this whole discussion we've had about self-advocacy that maybe we can build on for the next podcast. That sounds great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. You can send us a tweet at Access Practical. Thank you. And again, happy birthday, Becky. I will not sing to you because I like you too much. <laughs> thanks, Lisa, for not singing.